Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode number 57 for July 2015. Hey guys, it's Pat. Patrick, we're back after a month out. Uh, I was on holiday and trying super hard not to record anything for a couple of weeks. And I really wanted to record Affiliates Club, but then I stood on my principles that holidays had to be holidays, and I didn't. So I'm very proud of myself, but I'm also incredibly happy to be back because I'm telling you, talking about uh, the world news, which is what we do here, in such a laid back and cool and friendly environment with people from all over the world is really something I've missed. Thankfully, we have an excellent panel to bring us back, starting with, of course, Mr. Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How's it going, Mr. Turkey? And he's silent now. He's silent just to annoy me. I'm here. <laughs> you are. Excellent. So yeah. how, how have you been doing? I I'm missed you. Great. Two months without you. It, I was lonely. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. You were lonely. I saw the photos you were posting. You weren't lonely at all, man. <laughs> yeah, we had a lovely vacation with my wife and some friends in uh, Finland, where nature is absolutely amazing. It was a bit cold, but it was wonderful. Uh, and thank you for being back on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing all of the mean things you have to say about everyone. Ah, uh, sure. I look forward for that. I haven't been mean <laughs> for a while. Um, returning guests uh, also from, let's start with an old timer that we haven't heard from in a while, Paul from Hong Kong. How's it going, Paul? Hi, it's going great. How are you doing, sir? It's been a while. Glad yeah. to be back for sure. Very happy to have you on. Uh, what time is it for you? It's 4 p.m. for me. Yeah, it's right now uh, just, uh, it's like 10, 10 p.m. Hong Kong time. Okay, that's not too bad. I, I, every time, I don't know, for some reason, I think the difference, I equate, you know, the entirety of Asia to uh, the US of the other side of the world. So I usually assume that the time differences are impossible to deal with. But uh, yeah, that's not too bad. That's uh, yeah. actually pretty okay. All right. And we also have Matthias from Germany. How's it going, sir? Hello, Petring. Thanks for having me back. Mm. Very happy to have you back as well. Um, I think we're going to have some interesting debates about uh, our European brethren from the Mediterranean. And uh, I'm, I'm, well, you know what? Let's just jump right into it. Um, I'm not sure how much Turkey and Paul are going to have to contribute to this conversation, but I think it's going to be interesting to hear if they even care at all. Um, once again, Greece has been very much in the news in the past, uh, I would say, two months, because obviously I, I'm guessing everyone has heard about the Grexit, as we've uh, coined the term, um, of the possibility of Greece actually exiting the, the Eurozone. And um, if they didn't manage to find a uh, an agreement with the rest of Europe because of their insurmountable debt. And I'm not going to go over the entire story. What I'm going to go over is how I think it was reported on in France, which is basically a huge amount of confusion. It, it was sort of a sandwich between those who were saying 
this is ridiculous and the Greeks have suffered enough and so we should they are being oppressed by the evil you know uh, uh, European elite and the the banks are basically pressuring people who have already lost everything and this is no way to treat uh, your fellow human beings and on the other side there were very um, uh, staunch believers of the fact that you know what? Greece has put itself in this uh, situation themselves, and that is just what happens when you mess up. And so you should face the facts and just pay the money back and, and you know, reduce your uh, uh, expenses. And that's just the way it's going to be. I'll vote for that view. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I was pretty certain you would. Um, <laughs> I, I have a little bit more to say about this, but I'm curious to hear um, how it was reported on and how it was felt in Germany, which is, in my impression, leading the charge of that second view. Kind of, yes, because the monetary aspect of this whole situation is the most important part for the media, apparently. Uh, but as with every, every complex topic, most of the people don't really know what is going on anyway. They just know bits and pieces. And to be fair, it is so complicated. I don't understand it myself completely. So I am one of those people. But... Um, Again, if you just rely on the media, there has a lot of has been a lot of media. I would even call it agitation, and um, well, some false reports as well. So um, I'm not sure if people in Germany or the the average Joe on the street, so to speak, really has a complete picture and can could make an informed decision about that. But uh, you're right; the most of the people say, well, uh, they have to get out <laughs> themselves. So. Yeah, Germany. You yes. owe money, you pay it. Uh, that yes. is not a German accent at all. I apologize. Um, well, I but can you know, provide a German accent, so there's no problem. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, I think it's very fair that what you were saying, that people don't understand it, and me either. Uh, that's actually what I was going for initially before I explained the two sides of the sandwich, which is no one understands it. No one really knows what the hell is happening and what the real uh, uh, problem is and how to really fix it. Everyone is going from it almost admittedly gut reactions. And everyone, you know, when you boil down the uh, a country's economy to a uh, simple concept, it's it, to basically people bring it to their level and think, well, if I why, incur why, debt, why, why then are you I have complicating to pay for things, it. Patrick? Why are you complicating things? They screwed up and they're paying for it. End of story. Well, so that's the thing. I think when you listen to anyone who is an expert in that situation, there are a couple of factors which, you know, again, that I've heard and that the, the most mind-boggling thing is that this is being reported as such, not in disbelief, but in, oh, okay, let me tell you what people say. Um, what we're doing now, the uh, agreement that was, um, that was agreed on, is basically the same thing we've been doing for two or three years. And it has not yielded results. And by everyone's account, it is not going to be yielding results in the future either. The only way out of this crisis, which could potentially affect the Eurozone in its entirety and the, the world in its entirety, again, according to the experts, 
or many of the experts that I've heard, people who know what they're talking about, the only way to get out of it is to actually forgive the debt. It's the only way that Greece can recover. You know, uh, there have been a lot of parallels uh, made with uh, post-war Europe and the way that um, uh, Germany, you know, ironically, Germany, France and many other countries were basically received a huge amount of money that they never paid back. And it's very hypocritical. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been making that parallel and saying it's somewhat hypocritical to now be demanding that Greece, which is, you know, yes, they put themselves in this situation. It's kind of, okay, it's kind of like the too big to fail situation. Um, the banks that were at the origin of the financial crisis from a few years ago were responsible for that uh, themselves. Yet it was such a big, you know, it was such a big deal and it affected so many economies that they just had to be bailed out. And it's kind of the same situation here in Greece. Or, you know, again, no, that's no, no, what no, people no. are saying, that's, except that's, that's people are not. That's very much different. That's very much different. Okay. You can when 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 my bank fails in my own country and I pay from my tax money to save it so to save the economy of my own country, that's my money I'm paying to save my country. Greece is not my country. Why would I pay for it? I'm talking as a European. Let's assume I'm European. Why would I pay to save Greece when Greece itself screwed up from day one when they lied to get to be part of the Euro, Euro European currency? Because they have a million people sitting down there and don't know what to do, can't uh, get to their money, can't uh, make a living and stuff like that. That is not just a too big to fail issue, like it's a bank. There are actual people down there who need help. That's the issue, not yeah. the too big to fail. And if you know Greek people, no offense, I'm not trying to offend the Greek people here. <laughs> Let, let's, well, but, let's but just I do know, it anyway. Insult I, yeah, everyone in Greece. I, I really don't care. I know Greek people. I've met the Greek people here in Saudi and abroad, and there are different types of people. But overall, the Greek population rely too much on the government and government jobs. They rely on government jobs to the point that there are actually... I know for a fact of one project that has been paying salaries for people in Greek government jobs that they stay at home and do nothing because the project ended in the first year, yet the contract was for five years. You know, I don't think that's in question. I think, every, and we've been talking about this on the show even a, a couple of times. I think everyone agrees that the reason why Greece is in this situation is because not only these kinds of shenanigans, but also uh, the the Greek Greek people are uh, uh, at fault. You know, they they don't. A lot of them are not paying their taxes. They're skimming on the side. They're being paid in cash. All of that, uh, but. The reality of the situation is now they are in big trouble, and the, um, the, the the what Matthias was talking about, which is they actually need help, is one factor. But if, even if you want to be uh, selfish in this, what we're doing now, giving them more more money and hoping that by some kind of magical sleight of hand they're going to be able to pay us back the enormous amount of money that they owe us is not realistic. We've been trying it for years, and it's just and kicking it, the problem down and, the line. And, and, down, and the problem you know, isn't, isn't because they need money, Patrick. It's not that they need money. It's not about money. They need to restructure their entire system. The way agree, they, yeah. they, they give out jobs for people, the way they do contracts, the way they do the entire system 
system needs to be fixed. And when they're sitting there and their current government says, Greece pride, Greece pride, they're not going to fix anything if they're going to keep on saying it's all about their pride and they're protecting their pride. No, fix it. You're the ones who got this into in this trouble yourselves. Nobody pushed you into it. Nobody forced you into anything. That's true. But Granted, the rhetoric isn't very helpful in this situation. But again, a country is like a big oil tanker. You can't just turn it around. You need to slowly turn. You can't do it overnight. And, and the worst part is, let's, you know, what you're saying, Turkey, is completely true. But if you look at things realistically for a moment, for just, you know, a couple of minutes, they are not going to fix it. And if the, the situation continues, they could take down a good part of the Eurozone with them. And, you know, some people are saying, no, just, you know, they get out of the Eurozone and that's going to be fine. We stay. It, we included too many countries to begin with. It would be healthy to have Greece and maybe a few others get out and, and make the, the, the entire zone a little bit more stable financially. But... That's not, you know, it's it would still be a cataclysm in terms of economy. And you can say, and it's true, that they put themselves in this situation and that they need to fix it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's not going to happen, you know, in the year that we've given them to do it. Right. So th it's this kind of impossible situation where your guts, at least that's the way it's being felt in France, your guts is like, well, you know, F you, 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 you shouldn't have messed up with everything. And at the same time, we know that it's not going to get better. So politically, uh, po politicians are semi-pandering saying, oh, they have to pay for it themselves because that's what people want to hear. And they don't want to hear, well, we have to pay for them. And I understand I don't want to pay for the Greeks. Uh, so I'm not even sure what I want, would like the situation to become. But... Anyway, that's that's why it's so difficult. It's that Turkey, you're right, but it doesn't make <laughs> wait, the other wait, wait, thing. Wait. Did you just say I was right? Oh my well, god! Oh my god! Damn oh, it! Thank god. thank god this is recorded for history, for prosperity. Um, all right, Paul, is that even reaching the far shores of uh, Hong Kong? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that people are paying close attention to because it's had an impact on the uh, Hang Seng Index over here. Um, I guess, you know, all markets today are all uh, somewhat tied together. Earlier this sure. month, there was a big drop. I think it's the biggest drop in three years in the Hang Seng Index because of the very events going on and, and the ambiguity of not knowing what's going to happen. Are they going to exit or are they going to work, you know, work out a deal? So these things do have ripple effects all over the world. And there, there's been some comparisons, too, in the greater China stock market which is a super roller coaster right now. Um, but they've talked about how just in the past six months, there's been tremendous growth in the Shanghai index, and they've made more money than the entirety of the Greek debt. So <laughs> it's, you know, just, just in six months within that market. So it's, it, they, use, they use this Greek crisis as, as you know, point, talking points in relation to, to other markets. The thing I find interesting is I'm almost certain that this same topic was being talked about on the Phileas Club um, year, you know, a couple years back, you know, back when you had the old original theme and stuff. And it's like deja vu. It's like they didn't really fix anything then, and it was a big deal. But then it kind of went away for a while, and now here we are a couple years later, to, you know, uh, 2015, and it's back again. 
and it's yeah. it's just it it, it seems it seems mysterious to me because back then it was like this, oh, this big, huge deal. And they were talking about a lot of these same problems and <laughs> people were blaming the Greek people and the Greek government and were they going to leave? Yeah. And, and I think, it, I think one of the, uh, the reasons why people are saying it can't work and it, it didn't work and it can't work is that the austerity measures that Europe is demanding is asphyxiating the Greek economy. And so it can't start up again and become, uh, you know, effective again. And of course, there's the fact that the country is giving money to Greece or the uh, Europe giving the uh, money to Greece also profits from the same money because they are dependent on uh, the uh, military contract deals or exports or stuff like that. So a lot of the money we actually give to Greece is coming back into other European countries at the same time. So don't forget about that. That is depressing. <laughs> um well, they found a, a deal uh, in extremis in, in the last few hours as these things happened. But for a moment there, um, it was really like semi-apocalypse. It was, we were hours away from the precipice, really. And, and the precipice was, if Greek exits, we don't know what's going to happen. And as you were saying, Paul, it affects everyone, not just Europe. And um, it, the the really troubling thing is that it's going to happen again in a year or, you know, maybe more, maybe less, but it's going to come back because nothing has changed with this last agreement. Exactly. Nothing has changed. Nothing is going to change. It's just going to get worse and worse because fixing, increasing taxes, in my opinion, and trying to take care of all of that stuff, that's not the way you solve it. You need to fix the structure of this government, the way things are run, not how much money they collect. I well, think, Patrick, you're right about the doomsday aspect, but I think that it's not going to be that um, bad because uh, you said before that it's been dragging along for so long, this whole process, and everybody uh, has prolonged it for so long that uh, all the important players are actually prepared uh, now. Not, not, not completely, but so uh, they're prepared for damage control, I think. So if mm. Greece actually leaves the euro, it won't be that devastating for all important players because they know what's going to happen, that this has to happen at some point. So they have like five years to prepare or something. So it's not going to be an a, a, um, apocalyptic day or something. Mm. Well, but I'm, so that I'm wondering means... if the if the, you know, for, from Matthias and, and Patrick, your point of view being in Europe, because there is some discussion and, and I think there is some fear that if they were to leave, if they were to pull out for better or for worse, that this would be have a domino effect. I've seen articles talking about uh, Portugal, for example, yep. being in very similar trouble, though I, I'm guessing they've kind of somewhat um, fixed their, their financial crisis as of last year. But is there a sense that if one goes, then others would start to go and there'd be sort of a domino or a chain effect happening? That's the fear, for sure. Um, the, the Greek only exiting, I, I think we could survive without Greece, right? It's not like it was the country that was bringing in the most, uh, you know, financial stability in, in the Eurozone. Uh, but the problem is, if one exits, we don't know who else is going to exit. And that means that um, we don't know how stable the euro cur currency is. Uh, it, it brings uncertainty. And obviously, as 
everyone knows one thing that markets fear most is the lack of stability and uncertainty. So that is a big part of the fear of the uh, Greek exit. Although, That's you know, like this. But uh, there's also, we always forget that there are a few economies in Europe that also have similar problems um, and had those a few years back. But now everybody has forgotten about them. For example, Italy, Spain, Ireland, you know, yeah. all those countries had financial problems and economic problems. But everybody is concentrating on Greece right now and everybody seems to forget, well, it's, Greece is not the only one. The, the obviously the problem is if you're in the eurozone you you don't control your currency and so you can't you know devaluate the currency or do anything uh, any financial operation that would help you and uh, so other countries that ha are having difficulties might want to exit the eurozone to do that to be able to control their currency so yeah but i think um everybody loses in this whole situation i mean for once of course greece the people in greece of course uh, they're the ones that are hit the hardest but uh, all the all the rest of europe for example germany has now a reputation that rivals the one 100 years ago you know uh, chancellor merkel and our financial minister schäuble they're depicting as the evil dictators now and uh, well, yeah, we've uh, heard about this. Yeah, yeah. and uh, most of all, Europe as a whole is losing, not only because of the economic aspect, but also because uh, it's kind of shaking the foundation of the EU and threatening the European integration. I mean, if you, if Patrick and I would have met like a hundred years ago, we wouldn't even thought to have to do something like a podcast. I mean, we would have <laughs> probably dis uh, been taught to despise each other, and uh, would have a lingering hate or something, and we would have thought of ourselves as the better man and we are in a superior nation and stuff like that. And now we are living in the longest ever period of peace this continent has ever seen. So, I mean, uh, we have learned that uh, we can work together, not only economically, but we can profit from the cooperation on so many levels. And uh, if this uh, is starting to degrade, I, I feel that's going to be a huge loss for Europe. I don't. I mean, we don't need the United States of Europe, as Churchill called it. But uh, if we abandon the European project as a whole, we might lose so much more. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The, the The threat of a chink in the armor of Europe's unity, which is which has been a source of, you know, many blessings for for us in Europe, uh, financial, but not only. Um, we've we haven't had a, a feeling. Of course, there are people who don't feel European, but for sure we have a, a proximity. People travel within Europe. Students go from country to country. We feel very uh, uh, European more than we ever have as a country, I would think. And that could m change uh, a little bit if Greece exits. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think I have a solution for all of this. It's just to send Turkey in Greece and uh, tell him to fix everything. Turkey's uh, going to perform a bailout. <laughs> you want me to go to Greece? Have you ever met the, the uh, Saddam Hussein, president of uh -huh. Iran? All right, that's what would happen to Greece. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's not do that. Um, <laughs> let's let's move on. I want to talk very quickly before I, I move on to Turkey's uh, part of the show. Um, I want to talk very quickly about another thing that happened while uh, we yeah. were away. What? Oh. How, how 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 French people are crazy? And yes, cases? basically. <laughs> Basically, um, so taxis versus Uber uh, happened in, in, I guess, came to a head um, a few weeks ago when taxi drivers essentially 
became insane and started pulling out uh, drivers from the Uber Pop ser service, which is, uh, a di you know, slightly different from Uber period. It's a service that allows uh, normal people to, quote unquote, share their drives, you know, um, uh, basically carpool but it's in effect a, a taxi service it, it's in a taxi service and everything but name and it's been deemed illegal but uh uber is fighting it in the courts and the taxis the taxi drivers decided that it was going too slowly so they started beating up uh, uh uber pop drivers and burning uber pop cars and i was in finland looking at this And I could not believe my eyes and ears. And I was thinking, you know, what the hell is happening to my country? They have gone insane, especially since the government didn't uh, uh, really... It's not that they didn't condemn those that violence, but they still went ahead and uh, uh, sided with the taxis in uh, trying to push uber to stop the uber pop service you, with you, which you they were ended surprised up doing. patrick oh have you, you know have, have you ever heard something called the french revolution <laughs> honestly we we like going on strikes and demonstrations but i don't think it's ever it's ever reached that level and i don't also th i also don't think that i i i've ever seen that happening and then people acting like it's normal it was so i'm curious if i was horrified i was completely horrified but i'm curious if you guys heard of it or or if it didn't reach your shores well it didn't come here but we're having a very similar uh thing go on right now between the local taxis groups and uber as well not to the extent of violence at least not yet but uh i think yesterday there was a demonstration where uh, a group of taxi drivers got together and basically smashed up a taxi cab Um, as wow. a point of demonstration against Uber, oh, and they're but, they're they're but lobbying a taxi the cab, government. Not an Uber, not an Uber. No, car. not an Uber car. They they right. they did it to one of their own taxi cabs. But as a as a, you know, to try and you know draw press, draw attention, and but they are lobbying hard on the government against Uber. And mm -hmm. here too, the the interesting thing is that wherever I see this kind of argument come up, I look at a lot of the commentary, and a lot of the commentary seems to be the same. It seems to be. All right, if the taxi drivers are so fed up with Uber, they should improve their taxi service. They should improve their customer service, improve their standards to be more competitive rather than taking a lobbying position and simply trying to hold a monopoly on things. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of in, in agreement to that point. I think competition is a good thing. Um, a lot of people don't like some of the aspects of the taxi service here in Hong Kong because it's kind That's of... That's a universal you know, feeling, it, I think. It, it's yeah. a universal thing, yeah. Um, so, it, fortunately, it hasn't gotten to the point of violence, but they've talked about, for example, if the government doesn't doing something, do something, uh, ha having protests where they block the roads and, and doing things like this, so sort of escalation has been on the lips of, of the taxi side of things. I'm not sure if it'll come to pass, but historically... Um, taxi groups and lorry truck driver groups have formed like a union to do things to sort of hinder traffic when they weren't getting their way with the government. So, you know, um, the the Uber has been creating these kinds of the Uber situation has been uh, in this form pretty much in every country in the world. 
the the really surprising thing was that in France it came to well I don't know if it should be, surprise me but it, I, I assure you it does it's not something that we usually do uh, what would happen is that you know if if agriculture's uh, uh, you know farmers are fed up with something they'll come and burn tires or pour manure in front of Congress or these kinds of things but burning a car and and beating up someone it, uh, we've never seen it before. And so it, it, the protests are not uncommon anywhere in the world against uh, Uber, but that was, I, I, I couldn't comprehend it. Um, I know the situation isn't perfect in Germany either, Matthias. Uh, did you guys hear about that uh, French taxi drivers beating up Uber yes, drivers? Yes, we, we heard about that, but I doubt any taxi driver over here would go to those extremes. But then again, uh, if a German looks over to France, they call a lot of things extreme when it comes to labor rights and demonstration and strikes and stuff like that. So, so you uh, just look at it and think, oh, that's those crazy French people, whatever. Yeah, kind of. No, <laughs> but then again, uh, burning cars in France isn't that novel, is it? I mean, if you, uh, if I remember correctly, in May especially. Um, Who's typing? Of... I'm hearing typing. Sorry, keep going, Matthias. <laughs> Are you hallucinating uh, or something? Maybe. <laughs> Uh, well, there were a lot of um, uh, burning cars uh, in uh, Strasbourg. For example, Strasbourg. Yeah, no, but like that. So it's nothing new that uh, French people are burning cars. It's just that there are no burning uh, Uber cars. No, but the thing is, when people burn cars, it's usually fed up youth from the suburbs, and we're not happy about it, and we condemn it very firmly, and we don't go and say, you know, oh, you burned a car. What was it for? Sorry, you got my attention. What did you want again? All right, let's do it. So right? how, about, never how, about, how about kidnapping two uh, managers and uh, putting them as hostage in a factory and blocking the factory with tires? Is that any different? Um, I would say it's unacceptable as well, but it's not as unacceptable as beating people up, right? I think for me, even for me, I am very French, but even for me, that was, uh, you know, crossing a line. We're that working was... on it, Patrick. We're converting you slowly. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, it's, Turkey. It's, what? it's very oh, reminiscent ahead, of the old, uh, the, sort of the old union fights that they used to have in the United States when there'd be picket lines and then you'd, you'd get these workers to come in and undercut the union wages and the unions, you know, guys would go in and beat them up. They'd call them scabs and, and this kind of thing. I think, you know, anytime you have a group of workers who have kind of a hold on an industry and that shows that there's a lack of competition and then something comes in to sort of cut into that cut into that and the interesting thing is uber is more expensive than taxis not in um, France. At, le at least here in hong kong yeah. okay so if people are choosing uber uh, to pay you know the, the slightly higher fare it's really sh saying that they pref they prefer some aspect of that service over the local taxi service so there's a need for improvement yeah, the, um, in France, the taxi uh, uh, system is, you know, completely messed up. And I could go into this, but, you know, this is just a side story, so I'm going to move on. But I just want to say that the difference with those uh, union fights that you were mentioning, Paul, is that it, it is being 
legislated on right now in France. The, that specific Uber Pop service has been rendered, you know, has been, uh, uh, there was a law voted back in November that basically said that service is illegal and it was being uh, uh, decided on in the courts, and Uber just used the the legal recourses it it was uh, you know legally allowed to use to delay the thing, and the courts said, well, uh, until we decide, you can keep operating. So there is a legal decision being made; it is being addressed, and and it's not that they're being completely ignored. That is the most frustrating thing. There is no good you know no way of justifying that rage in in my opinion justifying those actions by you know sometimes you can say well you know when the little guy is being stepped on so much then they have to rebel and do what they can to to survive it's not even that they were being listened to there was a a, a loss not a lawsuit but a, a legal proceeding happening and uh, they they just were pissed off that it was too slow because Uber had started in a couple of additional cities or something like that. But to be fair, if it wasn't a legal delay, Uber would have just found another way around. I mean, uh, this, that's how they operate. For example, weren't they going in Israel? They're having the one that is, uh, if you are driving to your work, you can take someone along two times a day or something like that to... Uh, circumvent the taxi problem and stuff like that so they are creative enough so they will find a way yeah. eventually they're they're definitely uber is definitely super bullish and sometimes they can even be you know assholeish to an extent uh, for sure but I, I don't know again i think in a country of law you have to respect the law i guess is my conclusion to this and uber is crafty but they're not beating people up and burning cars and, you know, don't even get me, you know, started on the taxes situation, which is also unacceptable. And I think everyone I've spoken to who is in Paris hates taxis, hates taxis. And the irony, and we'll finish on this, the irony is that following these events, uh, the Streisand effect, which basically means that when you try to hide something or destroy something, you bring uh, noise and news about it. And so it, it, it becomes more uh, interesting and popular. Um, the Streisand effect made Uber, the app, the most downloaded app in uh, France for a couple of days. So a lot of people who had never heard of Uber downloaded it and checked it out. So there you go. Systemic issue and the taxis are at the, at the root of the thing. Um, all right, I could talk about this and how whose fault it is and how it's not the art taxi artisans specific fault, but the big, you know, uh, license hoarders and all of that. But instead of it, let's move on to Turkey and what he has to talk to us about uh, from Saudi Arabia. Ah, uh, Saudi Arabia. So what to talk about? Let's see. <laughs> well, seriously, the biggest news right now is just the war in Yemen. Uh, I figured, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's reached a new point where basically uh, the Saudi government with its allies and the recognized government of Yemen have really taken uh, back the second biggest city in the country, Aden, a major port in the country. So that's the biggest news right now. It's about how they are liberated the city and how uh, the, the efforts of humanitarian aid is moving into the country and so on. Um, uh, 
Yeah, that's one that <clears throat> again, uh, unsurprisingly, is not making a lot of uh, a lot of waves here in yeah. Paris, at least. Yeah, this is this is the number one news. Like basically, that's what you would read if you go open a newspaper. And keep in mind, I've been actually trying to avoid the news. Period. Uh, it, it's been uh, the Eid holidays, so I've been on vacation, trying to relax. I went to Abu Dhabi and trying to ignore the news. <laughs> what do you do on vacation in Abu Dhabi? Uh, Abu Dhabi, basically, the only reason I, it's it's a nice place. It's uh, but there's not. It's mostly going to the mall. Oh right, staying okay. staying at hotels, restaurants, stuff like that. So it's Is it's it, a very nice city. It's it's clean. It's nice. It's organized. I like it better than Dubai. Apparently, Dubai is uh, let's say I call it too fake. And too fake? When, How is it yeah, too fake? When you walk around, 80% of the people you meet there are expats. You almost never meet locals. So it's all made up city. It's a city that if a war starts, half of it would be empty in two days. Mm. Right, uh, right, unlike right. Abu, okay. Abu Dhabi, it's more a real city. The majority of people you see on the streets and malls and everywhere are locals. So it's, it feels like a real place that you can but actually you meet people. But you just go to malls and and you know it's. I'm wondering if this is, if this is a, a, a difference in the way we think of what a vacation is. Because if I think you know I want to go on a vacation, I'm not going to go to a place where there are malls and restaurants. I want to go oh. to a place where either where well when there's uh, the sun and a beach, I guess yeah. you have enough uh, sand and sun uh, at your <laughs> own place, or a place where I can visit stuff. Well, basically in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, you do have the sun and the beach. So most Europeans go there for the sun and the beach. I Although heard the beaches bit, weren't, weren't very enjoyable. Well, they're not the best, but they are very nice ones, especially if you go to the, uh, ho the ones in the hotels with the resorts. And, and the problem is that it's 45 degrees in the morning. <laughs> so that's the biggest problem. And, and surprisingly, there's European people who are lying down there under the sun having a tan at 45 degrees and 50 degrees. I don't know how they do it, but apparently they do it. So, so, so basically you look at them and you're like, those people are insane? Yes, that's exactly what I thought when I saw them, because I don't care. I don't need a tan. I'm just looking for the AC. Where is there's an AC? I'm going. Uh, uh, Abu Dhabi has something coming up uh, soon. They have the Louvre. The Did what? you know that? The Louvre. Oh, do they? Did is there a partnership where they they have yeah, a? Mm. They're building they're building a loop, in, in Abu Dhabi. It's not it's not ready yet. I think it's going to be uh, open next year, but they're getting there. They have partnership with the Louvre, so it's Abu Dhabi's Louvre you know, museum. So they're going to uh, have uh, a lot of stuff from the Louvre moved there on uh, occasions to be shown. Is it is going to be shaped like you know a copy of the the Louvre in Paris or is no, it no? Like it's a, a different design. It's a different design. They're okay. taking the basic ideas, but it's a different design. So, so there's there's stuff in Abu Dhabi. It wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed it. Okay. Do you go there Abu often, or is it your like? No, uh, Abu Dhabi. I think this is only the second time. The first time I hated it. It was seven years ago. This time I liked it. Hey, how far is it? Uh... By airplane, it's yeah. about an hour and a half. Okay. By car, it's about eight hours drive. Mm. All yes. right. So it's not that far. So it's but about it's what, I, what I thought. I was going to yeah. make a fool of myself by saying something like this, but yeah, okay, I do. I, plus, I don't need a visa. It's close oh. enough. 
So I just I don't even need a passport. I just need to use my local ID, Saudi ID. So it's easy to go to and do whatever you need and just at least get away and relax for a few days. So, um, all right. A very quick uh, check. How much of the war in Yemen is being reported on in your uh, countries, Paul and Matthias? Let's start with Paul. Uh, very little. All right. All. That's what I thought. Matthias? Same here. You may find something in a, a lower uh, setting on a page or something, but mm. yeah, not really. Same. All right. So no one cares. Yeah. Oh, it's God. terrible. You're disappointing me, people. Come no, on. But it, oh, okay. Just to, to finish on this, is it, uh, is it now the road to peace or is it just a, a step in the right direction? Uh, well, it depends on who you talk to. Officially, it's a step in the right direction. I personally so, so it's the, not over. I, I oppose the war in, in general, so I really don't care. So Okay. No, but I mean it's not like yeah. okay, the war's over, now we're good. No, 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 no. Okay, they, okay. they 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 only took the second biggest city, it's a major port, and I uh, still a major part of the country still under the control of the opposition Houthi movement. Okay. And, uh, and so on. So it's still a big deal. On a second note, another news, this is from the UAE. I don't know if anybody heard about this. Apparently, a lady in Abu Dhabi, an expat, I think she's Australian, was arrested, uh, put in jail, and then deported because she took a photo of a car parked in a handicapped parking, and it, she did remove the license plate, and then she posted it on a public, on Facebook, and shamed the owner of the car. Okay. And that's why she was arrested and put in jail and deported. What's the charge for something like this? Uh, the charge of, uh, I'm not sure what's the English word. I think the pl closest thing that comes to mind immediately, humiliating an individual, exposing okay. an individual or something like that. That's a, that's a crime? And, yeah, and insulting them. In the UAE, it is. You are not allowed to post anything about an an individual without their permission. Just posting it, doesn't matter what it, what it is, you could end up in jail. Is it because you can't, you can't humiliate someone? Or? Yes, it's, it's something like that. So You know, I can't remember what our conversation was, but a while ago we were talking about something to that effect and saying how you are, you know, you can be excused if it, it might have been with Mahmoud, but... Uh, it would be acceptable to hit someone if they insult your mother or something like that. Like no one would be, it would still be legal, but it would be to the around, you know, understood as well, you know, he, he yeah. what did he expect? Is that in the same vein? Like you can't insult someone and that's it? Like you can't, you uh, no. can't change him? No. It's it's kind of that. It's just you're not supposed to expose anybody. You mm. have a problem, call the police and report it. If you put mm. it online in public, then you are in trouble. Okay. And, and 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 this is the funny part. We do this in Saudi all the time. It's the oh, really? most normal thing we do, especially people who park wrongly, park in handicapped spots, park taking two two parking spots for one car. We post them all over the internet on Twitter. It's a very popular hobby for a lot of Saudis doing it. Turkey, I don't understand. I thought all of you Arabs were supposed to be the same. You're, I don't, it doesn't compute. You're saying you're, you have different habits from okay, different okay. countries? First, first clear something for me. Are you French 
or are you from Texas? Ah, <laughs> uh, you caught it. Excellent. Thank you. Oops. All right, let's move on to. The... So wait, I, I'm I'm confused. Oh, yeah. By this type of of legislation, that means that Turkey technically can't do anything to embarrass you, right, Patrick? Or well, he's from Saudi Arabia. I'm in there Saudi. Can. I, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately... And plus, he is an okay. infidel, so I can do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's allowed. Actually, actually, that's that that leads me to an actual question. Is it regarded differently if it's a local or an expat that you're no, shaming? No, no, no. No, this one, actually, she shamed an expat, and he complained to the police. Ah, okay. Well, yeah. so at least it's fair in that regard. And he was like he. I think he was European, European expat, and he complained to the police. He wasn't happy that his photo was online. Wait, it's next you're gonna German. say you think he was French? Actually, he was probably from Paris. Oh, that's a possibility. You never know. <laughs> I was actually going someone uh, from Germany who uh, invoked the right to be forgotten or something like that. <laughs> there, there, there is a lot the, of the problem. The that, problem but... with this entire story is. She took the photo. However, she removed the license plate. There was nothing identifying him mm. as who he is, and she never even mentioned his name. So did his name come out in the press no. in the end because he no. complained? No, no, no. Okay. Never came out. And, right. and he complained. Seriously, you're complaining and nobody even knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, even, and that's going to jail for it. Terrible. Yeah. All right, Paul, uh, what's been happening in your neck of the world, of the woods of the world? Oh, well, lots of stuff going on. Uh, I think probably the biggest news that most people can relate to in general is um, this recent announcement from the Chinese government that they're thinking to bring in a two-child policy um, to tackle what they call the demographic time bomb. So to go back to a little bit of Chinese history, 35 years ago, roughly, they enacted the one-child policy. Uh, this was during the uh, Maoist regime as an attempt to try and curb population because China has the biggest population on the planet. It still, despite the one-child policy, continues to have the biggest um, population on the planet. And they were having issues with starvation and the ability to feed their people, basically. So they came up with this idea. Unfortunately, the one-child policy flies in the face of traditional Chinese culture that was typically very large families and male child dominant families. So this led to decades of a serious issue where families knew they could only have one child or be penalized. So if they had a girl, um, many of the girls were either murdered as infants, aborted or abandoned. And this led to uh, issues with you know orphanages and foreigners coming over and adopting uh, Chinese girl babies, and it's now led to a growing issue where there's um, a surplus of young well, they're, men. They're getting and, old, right? And, oh, yeah, not wow. and not enough marriable women. So this is another issue that's um, just now coming to fruition. So there's this huge surplus surplus of young men who cannot find brides, who cannot find women. Um, this has led to another rash of social issues, kidnappings, and. Um, these kinds of stories and and there there have been a lot of articles and there's actually movies made about these kind of events and there's some documentaries that are out there that you can find and that are very insightful so 
part of the, the idea, too, is that they have an aging population and they have not enough young people to pay taxes into the system, basically, to care for this aging population that's now growing. You so know, that's funny. Another... That's, that's the first thing I went to. And for me, that was the issue. I didn't even think about every, all of the, the previous ones you mentioned, which are even more, you know, yeah. Well, see, that's that's so. So that's part of the rationale here. And the interesting thing is, is that they've had a couple pretty bad news stories. Um, there was a news story from 2012 where a woman um, from one of the Chinese provinces was basically abducted and forced to have an abortion seven months into her pregnancy. Um, so there's cases of forced abortions. There's cases of um, wait. Again, why still why cases would she? Of, why would she be forced to have an abortion? It, was it her family worried. that was worried she would that knew no, she was having from, a girl or what I remember of the story it was the local it was basically the local um, uh, family planning um, office that came in and did it on their authority um, and it was a pretty controversial case and it's one of the cases that is, is being seen as sparking this move towards a change in the policy. They've been talking about changing the policy for, I want to say, the last five years. And now some have speculated that this might go in by the end of the year, but other official statements have said, no, it won't be that fast, but maybe within the next two years, they could roll something out. Unfortunately, the idea of a two-child policy is kind of, because the one-child policy is not strictly enforced throughout China. If you are rich, and living in the cities like Beijing or Shanghai, there are ways you can get around it, you know, by greasing the wheels, as they say. So you'll find that there are uh, plenty of rich Chinese, um, Chinese people who have connections to the government, to the party, who've been able to have more than one child. Uh, typically, there's, a, there's basically a taxation that happens. So if you have a child... Uh, they they get residence, uh, what they call hukou in China. Um, they can get residence status that gives them access to schools and the medical system and all this. And if you have another child outside of that, then they have a much harder time. Uh, you pay a tax penalty as well in some places. Some uh, of the indigenous groups in China, some of the minority groups are exempt from this. Um, so they have some groups who are uh, given special treatment, but for for the largest population of the Han Chinese, they're supposed to follow this. There's exceptions too in cases, for example, if the first child has some kind of uh, defect or deficiency, you know, if they're born, I think, with like a Down syndrome or something like this, then you are given clearance to try and have another child. Um, so there are some exceptions to this policy, but for the most part, there are just plenty of horror stories over the years. And for many people, this comes too little too late. So for a lot of people who, you know, followed the law, had one child and that child, you know, had an accident, have, has passed away, you know, now the parents are too old to have another child. Whereas, you know, 10, 20 years ago, they could have maybe had two or three kids and they'd still have children living today kind of a thing. So there are lots of stories like this coming to light as well. Um, and primarily, this is a move being done because they see this, you know, economic imbalance coming in, in the near future. Some say it's going to be too little too late. China still has the largest population on the planet. You know, it's like at 1.3 billion people. 
So, you know, take the population of the U.S., which is like, I think, 320 million and add a billion to that. And that's how many people you still have in China. Uh, I know India is the second largest and they're at one billion something. They're, they're just shy of China's population. Yeah. So what does this mean? Does this mean that, again, you're going to see a, a massive population boom? That's obviously not going to be good when it comes to environmental aspects and things like this. So it's it's a policy that's being floated out there. And if it comes to pass, a lot of people are not really sure, you know, how good it's going to be and how bad it's going to be. But I think it is one that people are very familiar with China's one child policy. And uh, so a change from that will be a pretty big deal, I think, um, if that happens. It's, you know, when I read the notes uh, for the show, I was kind of taken aback when I saw two-child policy uh, because, well, we haven't heard about this uh, at all. Uh, or, you know, I haven't heard about it at least. And for me, the one-child policy is kind of a legendary thing. You know, a child from the 80s uh, that I am, it's one of the defining things about the communist regime in China. Um, I'm wondering, though, how... Is it, you know, the, the China's, let's say, uh, interesting brand of communism, as it has evolved in the past 20 years, has that had effects on issues like famines and, you know, um, agriculture making things easier for the more rural area where the, the need for the one-child policy isn't as, uh, as strong as it would have been 30 years ago or 20 years ago? Well, I think that if you look at the, the nature of societies, right, if you look at uh, other Asian societies, especially Japan, right, uh, Japan has an issue, a similar issue, right, where they have an aging population and the young people are not having enough babies. You had similar issues a couple decades ago in Singapore. Um, they've, they've also had periods of time in here in Hong Kong where they've You know, the government's basically gone out and said, have more babies because of the, <laughs> the you know, the, 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 the idea is that when you get a group in the middle class where you have somewhat of a gender equal society and both parents are going out and working and striving to, you know, have careers, there's a bit less emphasis placed on having multiple children. So you, you've, I think you've seen this happen in Europe, it's happened in the United States, course, yeah. whereas you've moved from agrarian societies where you need a lot of kids because of mortality rates and you need help on the farm and the more help you have, the more you know, surplus you can have to where you're moving over to an urban society where that's not a necessity anymore. But as China started out, it's mostly been agrarian. It's only been in the past couple of decades that they've started to move into more and more of an urbanized uh, industrial society. It's still, a very large part of it is agrarian, and so you still have a lot of people out in village rural areas that farm and that have this sort of tie to tradition and the ideas of big families. But you see the middle class and, and the growing class that have you know, come to accept the one-child policy and they've come to accept you know, the idea of modernity being going out working the nine-to-five job and, you know, having one kid. This, of course, has led to the phenomenon they call the little emperor syndrome, where because they only have one child, they spoil that child. And now these, this generation of young people, they call the me generation, 
has sort of grown up and they're seen as somewhat vapid, somewhat selfish and sort of, you know, opposed, very into consumerism and yeah. not interested in, in other things. Of course, this is just sort of a very generalized description, of course. I mean, you'll find many young people who are, you know, who volunteer and who are into lots of things, you know, but this has become sort of the general description of the current I, generation. I think that that kind of description has reached us as well. We're talking about the me generation uh, in, in France, I think in the US uh, as well. But I'm sure it's kind of true, but I also cannot remember a any time when uh, the previous generation would have said that the next generation is awesome. You know, I can't remember anyone <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, those kids, they're fantastic. They are doing everything right. We think they're perfect. And we did our job to raise them well. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's so kind Paul, of a... Sorry, sorry, Matthias. I was just going to ask Paul if he thinks that uh, this is going to really solve the problem because of that me generation and the new economic growth and stuff like that. Because uh, the, this problem is one nearly all rich countries do have. And since uh, uh, China's economy has started uh, and is getting uh, more vibrant and stuff like that, do you even think that this generation will want more than two child? Will this actually solve the problem? I, it's it's really hard to say, you know, it's, it's an interesting question to ask because it, with the me generation, those who are kind of modernized, they might see children simply as a burden to their lifestyles, you know. Um, I, I, I would think that for those who aren't quite there yet, they would, you know, welcome this. They're, they're still having that sort of tie to traditional, the traditional idea of a big family. But it could very well take off. But then again, mm. is a population surge in China going to be good for other things beyond sort of the economic forecast as they're, they're playing it out? Um, right. There's a lot of other issues with China with things like you know, food quality and pollution and, and all these other issues um, you know, won't lend itself well to, to solving those issues either. All right. Um, you're breaking up a little bit, so I think we're going to move on to Matthias. We wanted, you wanted to talk about uh, a, a topic that might please us geeks uh, in the audience about the end of the ban on, on video game consoles in China as well. Um, maybe we can come back to it afterwards. If you're, it, let me hear if your audio is better. Is it better now? Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. All right, let's go quickly okay. over that, that end uh, of the ban, if you, if you will. Or not. Okay, yes, so this oh. is a slightly more geeky related. No, hello, can you hear me? Uh, the audio is pretty hello? bad. It, it's, it's pretty bad and you're delayed now. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, cut you off and call you back, Paul. Uh, in the meantime, Matthias... Uh, please let us know what you wanted to talk about. Well, I think uh, the most important story around here is kind of a sad one as well, because um, in Germany we experience a growing, well, movement or whatever you want to call it, of xenophobia or a hostility against strangers. And, um, you mean foreigners? Or? Foreigners, yes. Strangers, mm -hmm. uh, refugees especially, and asylum seekers. 
And uh, since I think that's a problem for a lot of European countries right now, all the refugees that come over the, the Mediterranean from Africa, the Middle East, Syria especially, and a lot of them um, also came to Germany. And, well, a lot of people don't like this, to put it bland. And um, in the last few weeks or even days, a lot of uh, those housings that are being built for those refugees were actually set on fire. Uh, fortunately, wow. I don't know. Uh, I don't know of any of the people that any of the people got hurt because they were just building those housings. But still, it's a growing movement apparently, and of course, a lot of populists and uh, a lot of politicians chime in and uh, try to use this and are uh, well trying to please the crowd with slogans uh, that are uh, xenophobic. So I guess it's accompanied by a rise in the far-right uh, parties? Right, yes. Uh, we have a lot of movements, even started last year with uh, the Pegida movement here in Germany, where this became obvious that uh, the xenophobia is growing even more. And since a lot of refugees and asylum seekers are coming now from uh, the uh, Middle East and Africa, uh, it's becoming even a larger problem. So let me play devil's advocate here for a second and try to understand. Um, so this is pretty clearly bad, but does it come from a place where uh, they are getting a lot of um, help and there's a, a large unemployment in the country, so they're getting money that others are not getting? Or is it has there been violence associated with those refugees or is anything like that happening? Or is it just pure, you know, evil xenophobia? Not that there's a not evil xenophobia, but you get what I mean. Yeah, I know. But uh, I think there are a lot of people that are somewhat envious of those uh, refugees because apparently envious. they get stuff. Yeah, because they get stuff for free, you know? They get <laughs> all the money and we don't get it. Why? You know? It's that, that's completely unfounded, of course, and completely stupid to say that. But uh, it's still some, something some of those people at least might uh, think and might be a reason for them. But uh, then again, a lot of the right-wing parties just try to use the momentum. And there's this catchphrase, the boat is full, we can't take any more, we have our limits and stuff like that, which is kind of funny since uh, a lot of the other European countries even take on more refugees than Germany, which is the largest. Uh, country and one of the richest countries so it's well i think every this has been a, an issue in the past few months for sure i think we talked about it a couple of episodes ago in the show as well and it's been a point of contention in 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 every european country especially the ones uh, connected to the mediterranean uh, but i don't think it's come to a violent uh, uh, event in other countries. And this leads me to another question, which is, it seems that this is not the first time. I mean, in France, we have for sure a far right party, which is the uh, National Front Party, which is uh, far right with everything that goes along with the far right parties. Um, but it's almost it's it's become very important in the last elections it got something like 15 20 percent of the votes so it's it's 
not at all insignificant, but it's also become a lot more sanitized than it, what it was before. So the the policies are usually unattainable and, and somewhat uh, populistic, but they don't go so far as to... Um, uh, you know the the leaders of the party, which are now the children of the old leader, and they're actually fighting uh, amongst themselves. But um, they're trying to make it appear a lot cleaner than it was. So there's no uh, violence, or there hasn't been violent incidents in a long time. There's no racial hatred. Uh, there are, you know, they they can they can say things like uh, we can't. Uh, welcome any more immigrants because we don't have enough money to pay for this or that but they're not saying you know uh arabs smell right they, they're they not saying uh things like that that we might have heard in the past and, no, and again there's like no that. violence but no. but in in the case of germany i don't know if that's an impression but i get the feeling that this is not the first time we're seeing some kind of neo-nazi faction um gaining significant, uh, um, you know, popularity in the population. Uh, that's true. But with the rise of some new parties, uh, it's actually become a new issue because now those are not longer, no longer the uh, dirty right wing you don't want to uh, don't want to have contact with, but more the establishment uh, that is uh, uh, now the um, what's it called AFD. Uh, is uh, the uh, name of the party, the Alternative für Deutschland, and the Alternative for Germany. And Usually uh, when you have a name of a party that includes the name of the country, that's a little bit, uh, that's already kind of a, a sign that there might be something, you know, not right. But anyway, yeah, keep going. But, but that's the establishment now, and they are, uh, the academics that uh, are um, in this party and stuff like that. So that's what's kind of worrying uh, but again they're no not saying something like uh, you mentioned before like the arabs are smelling and stuff like that that's not not the issue really but it's also the uh, well they bring in that foreign cu culture and they you know you know you know arabs themselves. are not that smelly there's another nationality they're more smelling <laughs> Well, I've never smelled you, so I don't know. <laughs> he, I'm sure he smells like roses, Matthias. I never have either, but I have, I'm you know. I'm pretty I can sure imagine. that he got some deodorant in the mall or something while on vacation. Uh, uh, Patrick, you'll get to smell me soon enough. Don't worry. I, I'm looking forward to it. Patrick is going to report on that issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, uh, well... The, um, it's actually um, that uh, a lot of people are kind of afraid that uh, the German culture, quote unquote, um, will get lost because of all the foreigners and they don't want to integrate themselves. The, most of those fears are completely unfounded. And also the financial aspect that they get all the money and we don't get that and we don't... Uh, um, they take our jobs and stuff like that are simply not true. And uh, for Germany as well, um, kind of the same problem as we talked about with China. The uh, German population is actually on a decline. So we don't have a lot of children here. And sooner or later, we will need a lot of people, skilled personnel to work, and we don't have them. So we have to get them from somewhere. So at some point, we need immigration. And a lot of the yeah. refugees, especially from the um, countries where there is war, are often highly skilled and uh, are the ones that actually have enough money to get out of the country. 
So they could be potentially useful, quote unquote, in the economic sense. So there's actually no need to fear them and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, one, I'm one, sure there. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sure there are, you know, not everyone is actually skilled, but there's a, an interesting parallel to this. I have a friend of a friend um, who is about 25 years old now, and uh, she's from um, Afghanistan, but she came to France uh basically when she was six years old, uh, I'm sorry, six months old. She's never been to Afghanistan and she grew up here. She speaks, you know, she's French, um, but her parents never got the nationality. And now she just finished her studies. She, you know, she studied, she has like a, 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 a very good degree and she still cannot get a permanent Uh, visa she's still on a yearly renewable visa and she's still being under the threat that if she doesn't get her visa renewed she is going to have to go to back to afghanistan she's never been there she doesn't speak the language she doesn't know anyone and it's it's there is a, a a sentiment that Okay, I'm not being a, a you know a bleeding heart uh, 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 liberal here, but I can understand that you want to protect your country, or we want to protect our country against people who come here and and enjoy the social benefits of everything without contributing anything, and they bring their children and their families and their extended families, and you know there's this kind of uh, of, of fear of of that. Uh, uh, foreigner that's going to come and eat your bread and, and take your women. But there's also a, a point where if the person has been there for, I don't know, over 10 or 15 years, sp speak the language perfectly, is highly educated, there should be a, an automatic, maybe not getting the citizenship, but at least you get a, a permanent visa. You're like, you've been here for, for your almost entire life or at least 15, 20 years. You speak the language. You're, 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 you're not a, an unskilled person that's going to stay on the, on the dole, on the um, unemployment benefits and drain the country's resources. I think it's okay to give you, to cut you a little slack. And, and so basically this is a long-winded way of saying this sentiment is, is not, Germany only for sure. Yeah, That's Patrick. True. What 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 would happen? Say about the Saudis then? Because we have the same situation here. Here, nobody almost gets a citizenship, and I know some people who were born here. They are now 30 years old. They have PhDs, and they still can't live in this country. They've never been to their home country. Well, I would. I guess I would say the same thing, especially yeah. for different reasons. I understand that in in Saudi Arabia, my image, at least, which is still very basic and and um, you know uh, uh, stereotypical, is that everyone lives off the the money of the the oil, and not everyone is doing so through merit, and maybe the population is not as educated and uh you know if the oil runs out there's going to be a systemic economic uh, problem so i would say it's good to have people who are highly educated and who can make the country run on something else than else than oil 
So for that reason, maybe it's okay to give them the citizenship. But uh, no, here, here they you ha they have a very good chance of being put on the first airplane to their home country where they've never been, and they you can't even speak the language. Hmm. Well, I guess it's the same thing. And there is oh. one other thing uh, in connection with those fires that were late I talked about earlier. Um, there actually was a map on Google Maps that uh, went, went public where uh, there were uh, markers on all the uh, homes for refugees uh, or planned homes for refugees. And that made the round. And um, well, a lot of people said, well, they are using that to plan attacks or to find out where they need to hold their, uh, hold their demonstrations and stuff like that. But actually, uh, after a while and public pressure, Google actually took down this map. But uh, that's something that made the news. So, okay, let, let me ask you this to, to bring this conversation to a close. There is a, a strong uh, xenophobic uh, uh, current, I understand this. Is it being answered to by a strong... You know, how is it regarded to by the general public? Is, are people outraged? Are people saying, well, you know, whatever, it's, it's crazy kids or crazy whatever, but it's not, you're always going to have extremists or how, how do people react? Um, there are a lot of people that actually uh, speak out against it. There are also movements and demonstrations against those uh, Pegida movements and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, well... Again, a lot of uh, politicians don't speak out against it because uh, then you would uh, frighten all your voters on the right side of the spectrum, you know. And uh, therefore, well, most of the politicians, of course, speak out against it, especially if it turns to violence, like the fires and stuff like that. Of course. But yeah. uh, then there are some that try to use that momentum just to gain votes and stuff like that. Yeah. But I guess there it's... are people that are speaking out, yes. And it's it's fair. Oh, sorry. Finish. One one more thing. Uh, there's actually a case um, that went on. I think today or yesterday, where um, uh, Porsche had a, a trainee that made a racist Facebook comment, and actually Porsche actually um, separated and fired him uh, mm. right after he made that comment. So there's that. Uh, so at least some companies are also <laughs> sensitive or don't want the bad publicity in this climate. Yeah, I think companies would usually react like that uh, in most countries. But the, the, the climate you're talking about is definitely, it rings uh, uh, similar to what we're seeing here in France. And uh, with the, the exception that we don't burn uh, immigrant houses, we just burn the, you know, Uber cars. So I guess all things, yeah, they, they were more or less equal in that regard. <laughs> Um, all right, let's let's bring this show to an end with good news from Paul again with that uh, console thing. This is cool, right? Paul, the console thing, the the yeah, I, being lifted. Yeah, am I am I coming in okay? Yep. Am I coming in okay? Am I still roboting? You're um, not roboting, yeah, but I think you're was, late. Uh, so really quickly. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll just make this brief. So back in 2000, uh, China had put a ban on consoles, PlayStations and Xboxes, and they're now getting ready to lift this ban. So gamers in China can rejoice and, you know, have and play games once again. They originally put the ban in place because they thought games would have a very negative impact 
on young people. And actually, they do have problems with video game addiction with PC games and, and online things like MMORPGs. But for whatever reason, uh, they started a pilot last year, and they've decided that they're going to go ahead and lift the ban. I think they just see the economic side of it as being too lucrative to be left out anymore. So is it a thing where it's purely, you know, is it not corrupting the youth anymore? They decided, all right, that's okay to, to, to do uh, because the youth are not corrupted by those video games or because that must have been a factor too. Uh, I don't know if they've gone that far into it. They, like I said, they, they actually have military-style boot camps to deal with video game addiction for online games. So that's an issue. There's actually been a couple documentaries made about that. I, I just think that um, they put some restrictions in place. So, for example, PlayStation, Microsoft have to do some aspects of the manufacturing Uh, in Shanghai, in some of the, and so some of these devices that are going to be being sold within China have to be made in China. So it seems like they're really pushing for the, um, the, the manufacturing and the economic side of it to be beneficial to them. And I, that's why I would argue that uh, they just see um, far, too mu far too much money to, to simply you know, shut their doors to it anymore. Um, you know, the, the games today make more money than Hollywood movies, usually on first day of release. So I think that there are people uh, in the business who've been lobbying hard to say we got to get these machines uh, back into China and negative consequences be darned because there's renminbi uh, to be made. <laughs> so basically, yeah, it's, it's corrupting the youth until it puts money in my pocket. And also, it doesn't corrupt the youth, so everyone wins. Woohoo! Yes. And that is going to be the conclusion, <laughs> I think, the happy conclusion of this show. That's, that's really good. Everyone wins. Um, and I would like to thank again Turkey, Matthias, and Paul for being on the show. Uh, before we leave, could you please, Turkey, let me know where people can follow you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter. My account is Turkey Alvala, T-U-R-K-I-A-L-B-A-L-L-A. You, you were hesitant about talking, giving your full name before. I'm happy yeah. that you're now. I, I you, just gave up. Uh, who cares? <laughs> I'm done with this. <laughs> now, if you understood anything, then let me know. I, I understood half of it. So that's not too bad. Uh, Matthias. Yeah, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Matzekult. Let me spell it out for you. M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T. -E And you can also follow me on Google Plus if you want to or use that social network. <laughs> yeah, that's the second part, which is important. Well, I know you use it, so there's that. Yeah, yeah, I do. That's true. Um, I'll put the link to the Twitter accounts in the show notes anyway. Uh, and finally... Paul, thank you so much for being here as well. Can you please let the people know where they can follow you if they wish to? Yes, you can find me on Twitter. That is uh, Foxlore, F-O-X-L-O-R-E. You can also find me on Google+. And if you have any interest in uh, Hong Kong cinema, Chinese cinema, uh, Asian cinema in general, uh, look us up on our podcast. We are at Kongcast.com, K-O-N-G. C-A-S-T dot com and the podcast called E-Screen with Screen.
Excellent. Thank you so much, Paul. So it's Foxlore, Foxlore and Concast. And for myself, it's Patrick Beja on Twitter. Uh, no, it's not Patrick on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there if you wish to. You can also find me on my website, which is called Frenchspin.com. You'll find this show over there, as well as a video game show called Pixels. Uh, and I would like, as we close the show, to thank once again the wonderful people people uh, on Patreon, the people who decide to support the show financially uh, on Patreon. There's almost 150 of you guys and girls uh, supporting the show and uh, making it possible for it to keep going. I'm uh, incredibly thankful as always. You know that uh, this show is, is a show that I... that isn't necessarily the most um, commercially uh, easy to, to put together and to make viable and to make uh, uh, successful. And I don't think it would, it would work if it wasn't for people actually um, putting uh, their hand to their wallet and uh, sending a little bit of cash our way. So thank you so much for doing that. And uh, thank you for your patience over the past uh, month when we didn't have a show. We are back and of course we're back for good. So I hope that you will be there when we come back next month with a new episode of The Phineas Club. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to the distinguished ladies and gentlemen from the Patreon. And we'll talk to you in a month. Bye, everyone. Bye.